0: Now. Welcome to the Leather Kitty Podcast. I'm your host, Arish, and this, finally, is episode 10. On this episode, I go on a rant about steak. So get out, yes and pee, fire up the grill. This is the Leather Podcast. Welcome back everybody. Yes, it's been a while. Although uh, nobody really complained or checked in. I could have could have been stuck under a stack of old newspapers and in the garage. Arriving on fruit preserves. I wasn't, but, you know, anyways. Uh, so, a lot has happened. Uh, too much to really go into. Uh, biggest news is that as of this recording, season nine is out. Almost four years to the day. So, um, let's just get right into it. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at The Native Flu, aired originally December 25th, 2016. Directed by Jacob Tierney. Written by Jared Kiso and Jacob Tierney. We up with Daryl Squirrelly Dan, Katie Cat, picking stones in the field. On a Sunday afternoon, Wayne pops up, feels compared to Cher, A disturbing incident that happened. He's seen Stewart's horn. Uh, what makes it so disturbing is the fact that Stewart's custard slinger is burnt near the size of a four-pack of tennis balls. All of which comes to a surprise for Katie, who genuinely had no idea. And she's pissed. We get our opening credits. Uh, we open with uh, Riley and Jonesy in the dressing room. We open with Riley and Jonesy in the dressing room, enjoying some chewing tobacco and commenting on all the other players not really partaking. And I don't blame them. It's fucking gross. I tried it, so I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's gross. Anyways, Barts, Yorkie, Schultze, Fisky, and Boomtown all give them a what for when they don't take note of the games uh, coming up. And this week happens to be against the Senior A Natives, which the boys mentioned, it seems Jonesy and Riley don't look so good. It'd be they're coming down with the native flu. They say that's when the players fake an illness to avoid playing the native teams. They're known to be the hardest hitting players out there. So Jonesy and Riley make their way to the produce stand to see Wayne, Dan, Derry, and Katie, and explain that while they can handle the native teas in the barn, it's the business with Tannis in the parking lot that concerns them. So they're asking Wayne for backup. Dan points out that they had it out with the natives just a few weeks ago. Riley and Jonesy actually get some unexpected vote of support from Katie who says a man asks for help, you help him. They talk amongst themselves and seeing an opportunity to get some darts and venison pepperettes. They agree, they'll, they'll uh, need some backup of their own though, like Joint Boy. Dairy implies a ginger, but the ostrich thing comes up, at which point Wayne makes a statement that ginger boots did not fuck an ostrich. The only way to do so would be with a dead ostrich. At which point, Glenn, riding by on his bike while on the phone, Here's only that the, the ginger-fucked-a-dead ostrich. And there's another chapter in the ostrich story. Allegedly. We cut to the skids outside a convenience store. As Katie approaches them. Devin and Rolled in tow confronts Katie and they have words. We go to Riley and Jonesy where they're on their way inside the, the away arena. And Tana starts chirping at them from the parking lot. They're about to get an ass-whooping when Wayne drives up. With his backup. Riley and Jonesy head into the arena and Tannis approaches Wayne. She wants the band lifted a Letter Kitty because there's some money to be made selling native smokes. He said she learned her lesson. The band lift, of course, would be reciprocal. and They'd be allowed to shop for darts, hit the casinos, and get some pepperettes. Maybe watch a hockey game. Wayne declines. Inside the arena, Riley and Jonesy are on the bench ready to take the ice. Getting worked up, getting psyched. They get to the go ahead to take the shift. And probably get into a scrap. Out in the parking lot, Wayne is getting into scraps, too, while Derry is lighting up the grill. They have a conversation about steak and preparation methods, which I have a problem with, but I'll get into that later. Joy Boy's turn to fight next, and it doesn't last long, because he hoofed the guy in the nuts. Meanwhile, Riley and Josie have been thrown out of the game for getting into too many fights during the game. But they get into a fight as they stumble to the dressing room. Outside, Tannis is trying to broker a truce, because she doesn't really want to bring out the BFI who may or may not exist, and tries to get on his sympathetic side by introducing Wayne to the res dog. It's a three-legged dog. And just in case, is a three-legged puppy. Wayne caves and dictates terms. Back in Letterkenny, we're at the, I guess, new produce stand. Katie finds out Derry isn't sweet on Tannis anymore. It's Bonnie McMurray. Wayne gets irritated when Squirrely Dan pushes... About whether or not Wayne would hoof the BFI in the nuts. Which is questionable sportsmanship. Unable to sleep thinking about whether or not this BFI exists, he heads back to the res and meets up with Tanis at night. She confirms there's no BFI, but invites him to stay for steak. Made just the way he likes. Wagyu, New York one in strips with S&P, flip ones for the grill marks, but down the hatch. Roll credits. couple of notes on this episode. Uh, this is the first appearance of... Uh, Dustin, played by uh, Phoenix Wilson. He's the uh, little kid that came out of the car. Uh, he's only got 11 credits, uh, according to IMDb, but uh, he, he's had a notable guest appearance on Netflix series Longmire and the movie Indian Horse, which is uh, actually a pretty good uh, movie about a native player who grows up in the residential schools and becomes an outstanding hockey player. So the title of this episode is The Native Flu, and it comes from Jared Kiesel's own experience growing up in Listable playing hockey. They would often travel to Brantford, hometown of Wayne Gretzky, and they'd be terrified to go there because the guys were always so tough. The term came from some of the players faking an illness to get out of playing, and they dubbed that the native flu. Andrew Herr, who also grew up in London uh, playing hockey, tells of his experience uh, traveling to Caledonia, which is a heavy native population, and they'd summarily get their asses handed to them. The res arena in this episode is actually just the back of the Letterkenny home arena, they just Filmed around back, saves on cost. <laughs> the guy that Wayne fights in the parking lot is actually a dancer. Go figure. The music of this episode. The first scene where Ro- Riley and Josie drive up uh, is Dark Horses by Anakin Slade. Shit, dark horses, and it couldn't rise young. Yeah, fuck what y'all think. This is my world. Lions yell. They told me not to rock the boat, so I sank the ship. Took a stroll on thin ice with no plans to slip. Screaming up the garden, having no face for shit. I know not mind going to hell, a neat companionship. I brandish shit like it's my last chance to spin. So I approach the gate with the white sand. When Katie drives up to uh, the skid, sorry, walks up to the skids in the uh, in the parking lot. It's dropped top by AMAC.
1: Okay, mm. let's go. Turn that shit up, man. Okay, I'm ay, ay. Yeah, okay, I'm about. Ay, ay, ay. Ay. Okay, I'm dreaming about 20s and fifties, banded up and shoeboxes, boxes coming fuck with me, I got a white bitch who yeah. all about her pretty, when she got what she wants, shake her ass titties, like she said my jewelry glow you like electric, me. diamonds my ear and sapphire on my necklace, if you wanna pop and
0: then know again. When well, Katie and Devin have their second conversation, it's by home by humans. Into a fight, it's Stand in the Sand by Twin Peaks. the end credits is Hyperbolic 2 by Bus Driver. My favorite dialogue or scene? Honestly, my favorite scene was with uh, Wayne talking about uh, Ginger and Boots. Or most specifically Ginger and how he did not fucking ostrich. He went out of his way to research what ostriches do, what their enemies are, everything. Just to put this situation to rest. And Glenn drives by on his bike and spreads a whole new set of rumors about Ginger and Boots. I found that hilarious. It had nothing to do with the story per se, but it's a running gag and I guess it'll keep running for a bit. So my overall thoughts on the episode. So, Overall, this is a great episode. Uh, not only with a couple of the re- reoccurring gags, but the introduction of some new terms, mainly the native flu. Um, so, in the FURTA edition of this episode, Teo Horn, who plays Tannis, actually mentions that she's never heard of this term, and she even mentions it's kind of cool. She was uh, she heard it, and she's like, "Well, I don't know. Should I be offended? No, I don't. I don't think so. This is actually kind of neat." Unfortunately, there was a real-life incident of the native flu in Manitoba, but reality is far less amusing. I'll probably provide a link to the story, but essentially in May of 2018, uh, the Keystone Junior Hockey League had five uh, teams leave and create their own Capital Region Junior Hockey League, which was essentially the same group of teams, just without the native teams. There were lawsuits and such, but you can read the whole thing in the like. Now, I did say I had an issue with the whole steak cooking methods. So for a background on where I'm coming from, I do smoking and grilling. I even have my own line of barbecue rubs. I'm not going to hawk them here because that would be, you know, unsportsmanlike. But just so you have, a, you know, a bit of information, I know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm not going to get into cuts of meat or a breed of cattle. Uh, sometimes you just got to make do with what you have or what's on sale. And you might not even get varieties in your area. So this is a general guide on cooking steak and how it works for me. And it's worked for everybody I've recommended it to, they've had great results. So with any piece of steak, whether you're gonna grill it, smoke it, fry it, uh, best way to prepare it is to dry brine it first. Essentially that means you'll salt your steak prior to cooking, minimum one hour, ideally up to 24 hours. Um, If you're gonna do 24 hours in the fridge, uncovered on a rack, that way the airflow gets all the way around the meat It'll help dry out um, the surface moisture, which is what you don't want. So initially what the salt does, it pulls out the moisture from the meat. It'll mix with the salt and reabsorb into the meat, seasoning it internally. That way, when the surface is dry, any surface moisture that's left, uh, you can dab it dry. And that will uh, allow you to get that nice sear and those grill marks that everybody talks about instead of causing the water on the surface to steam. Anything else you put on your steak is just surface dressing, whether it's pepper, garlic powder, uh, Montreal steak spice, whatever. If your steak is an inch thick or less, a quick sear is probably best for you. Uh, You crank up your grill as high as it'll go, ideally 600, 700 degrees Fahrenheit. 400, I know Wayne says it, but it's probably a little low. 600, 700 is probably best. This will get you an even done to get an even doneness as possible, you'll put your steak down and let it sear for a good minute. If it sticks to the grill, give it a second. Okay? It just means it hasn't done cooking yet. Ideally, you'll flip to the opposite side, you'll turn it over and put it to another part of the grill. So that way you're getting the full heat on the sear. Again, you'll wait, you'll flip it a third time back to the first side, but 90 degrees to the way you had it. And that way you get those crosshatch grill marks. You'll do this again for the fourth side. Uh, The reason behind flipping each time is to distribute the heat that's coming from both sides. You don't want to get it all seared on one side and then just a little bit on the other. Although one side is going to be done on your plate, you probably want an even cooking. To grill your steak that's an inch thick or more, my preferred method is to reverse sear. Uh, This means cooking your steak at a low temperature, probably 225 Fahrenheit, uh, letting the steak come up to your preferred doneness, Um, You can do this in an oven or a smoker, let's say medium-rare, which is about 120 degrees internal. You'll need a thermometer to check it, but once it's reached its doneness, you'll be ready to eat. But it's still missing those grill marks, bud. So remove it, and as it's resting, crank up your grill to at least 600 plus as before. Uh, You don't need to grill it for the whole time, you just need to get those marks on it, uh, because it's already cooked through. And then you'll find with this method, there's more grill marks, there's less gray around the meat, around the edges, and the medium rare, in particular case, runs end to end as opposed to that bullseye effect you get from just searing, where it gets gray on the outside and slowly, slowly it turns pink until the perfect doneness is just that little slit right in the middle. I will say that the pan sear method, Squirrely Dan mentions, is a common steakhouse method. It's flavorful, it's rich, because of all that butter, and finishing in the oven is the best way to get a consistent product. The idea behind the pans here is the same as the grill marks. I mean, if the grill marks take make the steak, why not have the whole side of the steak with a grill mark? And while that's true, you'll get a better crust. You'll definitely get a different flavor. See, the taste of a grilled steak not only comes from the grill marks, which is my hard reaction, but I'm not going to get into that. But also the fat dripping through the grates onto your heat source. Whether that's coal, uh, gas, where they got those flavorizer bars, or you know, the lava rocks, whatever, what have you. I mean, those catch the drippings of the fat, they smoke, and that also flavors your meat. Just a couple more tips on grilling. Uh, One, steak should be cooked above 115 Fahrenheit, which is rare. Um, Any lower the internal fat, which makes up the marbling we love so much, doesn't get a chance to render out into the juices we associate with steak. You'll just be eating hard bits of fat. That has no flavor. Two, steak should not be cooked over 135 because those juices we're talking about they'll just render out and leave you with a massive dried cow muscle number three beef from alberta which they talked about is different from beef that you'll get in most of the u.s and even in ontario since alberta is so far north the cattle isn't finished on corn because it's not readily available they're finished on rye and barley which gives the beef a much different taste and that makes Berta beef unique I think that's enough beef talk for a Letterkenny podcast, but if you do have questions, feel free to ask. That's our show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Technical Productions by me, Arsh Wallace. Intro music is Who Needs a Girl Like You by Indian Wars. You can reach me on Twitter at LetterkennyPod, Facebook, Facebook.com slash LetterkennyPod, or LetterkennyPodcast.com. That's it for now. Until next time.
1: We all lay off the ginger and boots now because the ginger and boots did not fuck an ostrich. Yeah, I heard they fucked two ostriches. Allegedly. Folks will say that it takes two people to fuck an ostrich. Three even. Folks are also saying that it was a sick ostrich. Allegedly. Now, I went on the internet and researched ostriches. Firstly, ostriches can run up to 70 miles an hour, so catching one, even a sick one is a super tall order. Yeah, there's two of them. Secondly, when a male ostrich, it's called a cock, fights over a female ostrich, they're called a hen, they're known to kill each other by head-butting. We should wear hockey helmets. Hockey helmets, buddy.
0: Oh, they need a race car helmet, likely.
1: Finally, ostriches use their legs to defend from predators and can use them to kill even their largest and most deadly enemies, which are fucking lions.
0: That's the king of the jungle. Still just a
1: cat. So you'll see, there is no way the ginger and boots could have fucked an ostrich. Maybe they tracked the ostrich. Like they roofied the ostrich? You no, know, I know what, you should feel bad about even suggesting that the ginger and boots fucked an ostrich. Bad gas travels real fast in a small town. My research concludes that the only way the ginger and boots could have fucked an ostrich is if it was a dead ostrich. Ginger and boots? <laughs> a dead ostrich? I thought he was just sick! Come on, Jenny. The ginger and boots after dead ostrich. Oh bother. Of course I know what the male ones are called. Check
0: my browser history. <laughs>